Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm your host Michael McCall, and I hope this episode finds you and yours safe, well, happy, and healthy. I know there's a lot going on in the world at the moment, some really difficult things to to read about, to watch on TV, and we all need a little bit of escape. Hopefully this episode of the AFT and Soccer Show will give you a couple of hours of that at least. And I know I say this every week, but we have another packed show for you tonight. I thought I'd ease off the interviews a little bit this week. I, I know the last few shows have been very interview heavy and delve into some of the the main talking points that are particularly hot topics in North American soccer just now. So I'm going to be joined by a couple of guests for this episode. Coming up in parts three and four, we're going to be joined, as always, by Zachary Adam Meisenheimer. And we'll be chatting with Zach about some stuff from the Canadian Premier League, some stuff affecting the Canadian national team as well. In fact, the bulk of tonight's show is going to involve us staying home with Joe Corona We've still got time for some worldly travels with Joe in the final part, but we're going to look at all the latest news that's come out this week affecting Major League Soccer, the National Women's Soccer League and the Canadian Premier League. All three leagues are in various states of return at the moment. One has a set date, one has a proposed set date, and one, well, we're not really sure what exactly is going to be happening with that just now, but... There are hopeful signs that it will return at some point this year. But we're going to kick things off with a look at the latest happenings and developments in Major League Soccer. So MLS, the the league and the players, they've been going back and forth with proposals, counter-proposals, but things seem to be moving on apace, with a a return date fast approaching, although there are still a a number of things to be thrashed out, primarily in the players' case and and the safety aspect. So joining us to talk about a lot of the stuff that, that's come out of this is our good friend, Jonathan Tannenwald. How, how are you doing, Jonathan? You know, I'd, I'd like to say I'm great. Um, obviously, it's a little hard to be doing great right now with everything else that's going on in the world. And, and folks know that, you know, I can't talk about politics too much out there in public because my employment contract bars it. But it's a point of fact that I'm here in Philadelphia. And uh, as folks have seen, a lot of things have been happening 
in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, a lot of people have been protesting for change, which is part of the way things are supposed to work, even though they don't always go the way they're supposed to. Uh, and it's right in the middle of where I am downtown, so uh, it's been a lot. Yeah. I know I was watching some of it last night and I was certainly thinking of you and our other friends down in the US, especially Seattle, where we've got a, a lot of good friends down there. It was certainly scary to watch. And I mean, it, it feels weird, I know, talking about just football at times like this. And it was the same when we last had you on the show. The the coronavirus was just starting to take full effect and it, it felt weird talking about football. But I mean, that's that's our our livelihood. That's what what we're here to talk about and I think it's maybe good to have a little bit of, of distraction at this time and I mean it, it's strange to think MLS is going to be returning during a virus during like protests who knows what's going to be going on but I mean it does look like it, it's it's going to be back sooner rather than later the athletic reported on Friday night that the MLSPA have approved in principle at least that a return to play that Still a lot of concerns to be addressed, as I mentioned at the offset there. Now, we talked about some of the initial plans on our show last week, and already that seems to have changed. Going from five group games to three group games, July 3rd being mooted as a a possible start date with teams arriving in Orlando on June 24th. Some teams would advance to knockout stage, still looking at eight, I would assume, uh, while others would then fly home. Group game points will still count towards regular season standings and the, the teams that are there for the furthest in the tournament would be away for a maximum of six weeks with some teams away probably thinking about four. Now, we'll look at the players' concerns and all those logistics and stuff in a sec, but I mean, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts just on the, this format, the plan for it all, and uh, I mean, do, do you think it makes sense? I think it makes sense. I think that, um, and this is all, look, in terms of the logistics of it, it's it's all going to get wrapped into to one big talking point, so we might as well just do it, you know? Yeah. Look, and I, from what I, my sense of it, both from talking to people and everything that I've read across all the various outlets in, in the U.S. and Canada, is that the players, in the principle of it, want to play. They'd like to play soccer. They know the importance of getting out on the field, what it can do for the league and so on. Especially the guys who are from the U.S. and Canada who also grew up as baseball fans and football fans and so on and know about soccer's place in the landscape. Now that said, they don't want to play just to play. They want to make sure that this is done right. And I don't fault them for that. The most notable example of that came from a fairly soft-spoken guy, Casper Shabilko, of the Philadelphia Union, who said uh, a few days ago, you know, he wants to play, but, you know, when he was asked for his opinion on the Orlando plan, his biggest complaint was that the families were not able to go. Yeah. And I think that dovetails with the amount of time that the players would be gone for. And we saw that, you know, there have been proposals back and forth, and we've seen now that the amount of time that the players would be gone for has been reduced from most of June and all of July to a week of June and all of July. And that's significant for for players who have spouses with young children families and so on my sense is that the players want to play obviously there are financial issues to hammer out but i have a hunch that the amount of time and the question of whether the families can go because right now they can't 
that might be the biggest sticking point to making this happen. I mean, there's certainly a lot of logistics. We've talked here a lot about one player here, Andy Rose. His wife's due in July. He's a, a diabetic. So, I mean, you've got players like that that have genuine concerns about being away from their family. And you've got other players I know around the league that are wanting to to be there because the birth of their first child is coming up and, and stuff like that. So I mean, Can I name two? Yeah. Let me name two players who have pregnant wives in the league. Carlos Vela and Javier Hernandez. So you've got two of the, the biggest name players that... I mean, yes. if you have a, a tournament and you've got some of the star power not there, I mean, it's obviously strange to begin with. An issue that, that we've talked about in the show is... And we'll come to NWSL in the next part, but their their tournament, from my understanding, is going to be their season. Whereas this MLS tournament is going to be a mixture of the group games counting towards the regular season points, if the regular season can get underway, and then there'll be a knockout stage to, to crown the champions. So, I mean, I think I would be more comfortable with this tournament if this tournament was basically the season and you were going to crown champions out of this. But it just seems that you're, you're rerouting all these teams and all these players for a tournament that might not actually count for much in the end. Well, first of all, I, I, I do want to mention quickly on the NWSL that I'm not sure yet that it's going to be the only games they play this year. Ah, they aren't right. sure, Because they aren't sure yet. Right. They might try to do something later on. Um, after, look, the whole question is, are the U.S. and Canada going to be in places by August, September, etc.? where teams can play games in stadiums, yep. you know, in their stadiums and travel. We don't know. Um, but this will get the league something and it will certainly get the league something that's on TV, which uh, ESPN and TSN, I suspect would very much like. Yeah. And Fox and Univision too, although ESPN is going to be the lead on this in the U S because the games are being played uh, at Disney world. And it's sort of an ESPN production and facility. Look, I, I, I think there's a very easy way to make this matter above and, beyond, above and beyond the fact that I think the players want to play and will play. That's one part of it. And maybe that's not the case in every league in the world, but I do think it is the case in this league. There's a very easy way to make it count for something, whether or not they are regular season points or whatever the heck it may be, which is put a big pile of cash on the table. Money is the, the driving force in all of this. I mean, you mentioned the TV aspect. Like here in Canada, you've got a, a company like TSN that they don't have the rights to the Bundesliga. That's Sportsnet here, so they can't show those games. They don't have the rights to the Premier League that's returning, so that's on the zone, so they can't show those games. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure they are desperate to have some live sport to show. They also, I believe, are the NWSL broadcast partners, so they'll be keen to, to have that tournament on, you would think, as well. But, I mean, money is obviously going to be the driving force. And when you're talking about money, it's another one of the players' concerns because, I mean, The Athletic's done some fantastic re reporting on all of this, and ESPN, Jeff Carlisle as well. And th they were both talking about the issue that there's still this 7.5% pay cut across the board that the league are, are looking to implement then they're looking to defer some things that had been agreed in the CBA and the players are wanting that CBA ratified apparently before they do travel to Orlando, which makes total sense. 
then you also have the the aspect of the, the league are apparently looking to introduce a, a force majeure clause into contracts, but they're tying it into attendance, which for me is a very concerning aspect because attendances can dip around the league for a, a number of reasons. And we saw that here in Vancouver, our 22,000 crowds were, were dipping because of things that were happening off the pitch. So, I mean, stuff like that concerns me. Well, as soon as I saw that force majeure clause in the report by ESPN, I thought to myself, hmm, one way to enact a force majeure clause based on declining attendance is for the owners to not open the doors in the first place. True. So I'm a little skeptical of that one, and I'm sure the players are too. I think the salary stuff can get worked out because that's numbers, and you find numbers and compromise on them. You know, the deferrals and the pay cuts and all that, That'll get figured out, I think, but when the smart people in the room shut out the door. The force majeure clause, I don't like. I hope it doesn't get there. The other thing about ratifying the CBA is I thought that was going to be done by now. Yeah. But I'm a little surprised it's not, and I don't know what it's going to take to get it over the line. I sort of figured they would have done that by now. Well, you've got the other aspect as well, where one of the things that's getting asked to, to get deferred from 2023 to 2024 is the, the share in the revenue stream as well. And, I mean, there's a lot of players in MLS that aren't making a lot of money in the grand scheme of, of football. You've got the likes of the USL, where you've got players that are making even less, and some of them, it's hard to believe that they're even making a living wage from players that I've spoken to. But it would be a shame for this to kind of fall down based on money. But, I mean, you, you've got that as a I don't as a think concern. it's going to, because the, the scale of the money involved is not the scale of the money involved in baseball, for example. And we've already seen the pay cuts go from, what, 20% to 10% to 7%, you know. So I think that's that will end up being, easy might not be the right word, but I think that'll end up being straightforward relative to the families not coming and the length of time they're down there. Yeah, and but you also have the the testing aspect and the whole bubble aspect and like who who's in the quarantine because it's not fair to ask hotel staff to to be in a quarantine bubble. They have to come and go to their families. So then if they're around all the players and then it's like how many hotels are the players going up in? I take your point, but at the same time, it's not safe for the hotel staff to be going home every night. Yeah, there's that aspect of it as well. And, I mean, the the question which I guess is a, another one which we haven't seen an answer for is what happens when someone tests positive? Do you just isolate that player? Do you isolate the whole team? Um, how many players does it take to test positive for the tournament to suddenly be derailed? I, I, I haven't seen the details of that yet. I am, I am willing to believe that there are, there's a decent amount of medical experts who will ultimately be involved in those decisions. Um, if you want to pivot to the NWSL, this might be a good time to do it because the NWSL's protocol doesn't have a flat number of tests that it would take to get the thing stopped. And when I asked one of the medical professionals involved if there is a number, there isn't one. I think that they're sort of going to accept there being tests positive testing. I don't know how that's going to end up working. I think the the good thing about this, whether, whether you, you want the tournament to go ahead or whether you don't want the tournament to go ahead, 
it does seem that the gap between the league and the players is maybe not as far apart as I thought it was going to be when these negotiations start start to come out. Even more so when there were some reports during the week that the conference call between the, the players' union representatives and the league got very heated at times, primarily because the, the players were putting forward all these questions and Don Garber just did not have the answers that the players were looking for. But, I mean, it does sound, now that the MLSPA have kind of agreed in principle to this going ahead, that the parties can thrash out all the final details this week. And you feel they have to, to do it this week because the the window for getting everything, all the ducks in the row, all the testing in place and getting everything all planned in, in terms of maybe players being away from, from their family and any care that their their wives are going to need that, that's left behind, that window uh, is getting smaller and smaller. And we've referenced the NWSL a, a couple of times now in this part, and I, I hope that MLS are kind of looking at how that league has worked with their players and what they've managed to get in place, and I'm, I'm sure they will be as well as looking at what's happened in Bundesliga and how how the English Premier League are doing to try and get back. So I think and hope they'll be paying close attention to to all of that. And we have mentioned the NWSL a a few times in this part, so we're going to move on to talk about them now. But that is going to come up in the next part of tonight's AFT and Soccer Show, and we will be back with that and more from Inquire.com's Jonathan Tannenwald and the final song. From this month's Artist of the Month, The Super Furry Animals. And just a little word of warning in case you're playing this on loudspeakers and you've got delicate ears around. The song coming up does feature some swearing. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Spend some Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And that was the final song from this month's Artist of the Month, Super Furry Animals, Wales's finest band, and that was a song called The Man Don't Give a Fuck. A CD single released in 1996 on Creation Records, and with a cover that is notable for two reasons. One, it features a warning sticker that says... 
This track contains the word fuck 50 times. But it's also got a football-related theme. The cover features former Cardiff City bad boy Gavin Friday flicking the Vs. The band themselves hail from Cardiff and are big Cardiff City fans. They actually sponsored the Cardiff City strip for some of their Welsh Cup ties one season. That is a strip I have always wanted to get hold of and not been able to so far. Now, Friday was a a player that I didn't really know anything about until the Super Furries released that song and then I, I did a little bit of research for him. He was one of those guys that had an immense talent on the pitch, but he just had a kind of destructive side to him as well. He was also a very physical player. He had, to quote Wikipedia, a heavily tarnished disciplinary record. Off the pitch, his personal life was... A tale of a a lot of footballers from that time. Smoking, drinking, womanising, drug abuse. A lot of those things combined to to mean that he missed matches and his his pro career was very, very brief. He spent two seasons with Reading. He spent one season with Cardiff City. 52 goals and 142 appearances. That was the talent that this guy had, but unfortunately... The, the number of incidents on and off the field, which involved at one point kicking Mark Lawrenson in the face mid-game, meant that he retired from football just at the age of 25. Thirteen years later, he was dead after suffering a heart attack. A sad tale indeed, and one immortalised in song by the super furry animals. Hope you enjoyed our selection of tracks from them this month. I'm sure they'll pop up again on the show soon. But let's get back to the football chat now. So we still got Jonathan Tannenwald from Enquirer.com in Philadelphia on the phone. And in this part, we're going to talk about the, the NWSL, the, the Women's Soccer League in America. And while MLS are still thrashing out an agreement for their tournament in Orlando, the NWSL have already confirmed their 2020 Challenge Cup in Utah. We've talked a little bit about it in the first part there. The cup is going to be a 25-game tournament played in two Salt Lake City stadiums. One of them being Rio Tinto and the other one being the Zian Bank Stadium, which is home to the RSL Academy. There's nine teams in the NWSL. They're going to be put up in two Salt Lake City hotels. No fans will be allowed to attend. The tournament will get underway on June 27th. It'll run till July 26th. CBS are going to be showing the games on TV and on their streaming platforms in the US. No official word yet from Canada, but as as I mentioned, TSN should probably be continuing showing that league. The the nine teams will... I have Canadian information. Oh, so our... I believe, believe, so there's only going to be two games on linear CBS, and I believe that's going to be how you watch them up there on the cable networks that carry CBS. Right. And my understanding is that CBS All Access is available in Canada. However, I do wonder... If they put more games on CBS's cable sports channel, CBS Sports Network, if if any of those games end up being televised live on there instead of just televised on delay on there, I wonder if they might strike a deal with TSN because international broadcast rights are certainly an area for them to exploit. Yeah, I, we'll come to the TV aspect in a, in a second. There's nine teams, like I mentioned, in NWSL. They're going to play four group games each with the top eight advancing to the playoff rounds. And it, it seems a, an ideal situation for a small league like that. They're going to be the first professional sports league that returns in, in North America. And, I mean, you, you could wonder, 
there was comments made initially that some owners were looking to do that and they see an advantage in being back first. That was kind of downplayed a, a lot this week. I know you were on a lot of conference calls and check out Jonathan's article on Inquirer.com as well. It's very, very detailed about the return of the league. But if that isn't the main reason for trying to get back when they are, it's certainly a factor that's an added bonus you have to feel. It's going to have a lot more eyeballs on the league and it should really raise the profile of the league. Oh, absolutely. And look, I'm I'm a little a little cynical on the subject of them coming back first, and I've said that. Um, the, the commissioner has said we didn't set out to be the first league back, but we're certainly going to take advantage of it. Well, as you mentioned, some of the owners in the league uh, had it on their mind, led by Arnon Whistler of the Chicago Red Stars. Look, and I think they should take advantage of it. And that is actually one of the questions that went to the league is when you you have this timing, you have the fact that you're going to be back first. Why not put more games on TV? And the commissioner sort of said she'd try to push for that, but I don't know that there will be. Mm. But the interesting thing is going to be, you know, who plays? And it's, it's an odd question. Yeah. Because, but, but the point of the question is every player in the league no matter her stature, is allowed to not play in the tournament with no repercussions. They still get their full salary and benefits. And we have heard that some of the U.S. players might not play. We don't know who yet other than Alex Morgan, but that one's obvious because she, she just had a baby. Yeah. And with the Olympics postponed, there's no reason for her to rush back. We'll see what happens. I, I think that by, the, by, by June 21st, which is the roster submission deadline you know we'll know we'll, i i think we'll know i, I don't think anybody's going to say after that oh i do now want to go or i don't want to go but i i think that you know we'll know probably before then almost all the major u.s players i think will have will make a decision because i don't really know how to say this they're not the most indecisive people in the world i i just i just feel like they're going to make a decision and stand by it, whatever it is you know yeah we, we haven't heard much about what's happening with the Canadian ones. There's 16 Canadian national team players in the league. Erin McLeod uh, was interviewed, I think, by CBC, and she was she was all for the tournament and is just excited to get back. You, you've got issues like childcare, which it's, can be a little bit more difficult on the women's side than on the men's side. And, I mean, there's other factors, like health factors and things coming into account, but the general consensus seems to be that the players are all for it, and a lot of the players that have spoken out publicly have also praised the league for the the way that they've dealt with this and the way that they've handled their concerns, which is excellent to hear. Yes, the league has done very well at working with the NWSL Players Association, which is the union that represents everybody except the major U.S. players whose contracts are paid by U.S. soccer. Right. Um, that includes Lisa Baird, the commissioner of the league, having a conference call with the mothers around the league to hear from them. I, I read that. I thought that was fantastic. And one of the outcomes of that is a very strong child care policy in this, which is that players, children, and caregivers may come to the tournament as part of the traveling parties for the teams i believe that the teams like basically everybody gets 28 players and seven staff sort of as this as the main budget anybody beyond that is sort of at the team's 
discretion. And the caregivers and the children are obviously going to be included in that for those players who want them to be there. And I think I think that's uh, they deserve applause for that. Absolutely. And it's nice to see a league working with, with their players' union so well. I mean, MLS are having talks, but I mean, here in Canada, the, the CPL isn't even recognising the, the players' union that's been set up yet. So there's there's those kind of rankles. I mean, when I, when I read some stuff about how the league have dealt with this, I mean, it all came across fantastic. And I'm talking about more eyeballs being on the league and the importance in some ways of them getting back before some other leagues. But then at the same time, you've also got the downside where they're going to be coming back now just after the English Premier League returns, where the games there are going to be coming thick and fast. And I I don't know what it's like for broadcasting the games in England down in, in the US. Here it won't have as big an impact because it's on the zone. But do you think like having a league like the Premier League coming back before this is maybe going to detract a little bit from the attention that the NWSL do get? I don't think so for two for three reasons. One is the Premier League's mostly in the morning and the NWSL is going to be at night. Ah, of except course. On the weekends. Yeah, yeah. Two is, I think it's, look, there's overlap, but there's also a lot of difference in the audience, you know? The, the soccer fan base is going to watch all of it, the Premier League and the Bundesliga in the morning and then the NWSL at night. But the women's sports audience is not necessarily watching English soccer every weekend. And then uh, the fact that it's an American league is going to make a difference, I think, in terms of the marketing, the promotion, and the fact that it's on CBS, which doesn't have any other soccer. With it coming back and the financial side of it, there's been so much written recently and things I've heard on, on shows and various things. How perilous do you see the, the state of the women's game in, in North America as being? Because it, it always sounds like it's it's not like on the brink of going out of business, but the money just doesn't seem to be there. And when something like this hits in a pandemic and you're losing like gate revenue, which for for teams like, say, Portland Thorns, where they pack the fans in. Is the game in a, in a perilous state? Do they need this tournament to, to make the league survive? I think to make the league survive is a little strong. I was going for dramatic. But, right. I think it's going to help. Cause we've heard there's clubs that's gone out of business over the years in the women's game. In Canada, we can't even have any professional clubs because... It, it doesn't seem that the, the financial support is there to make it a, a viable investment. What do you think it is going to take to help grow the, the women's game in this continent? Because, I mean, there's so many good players, but so many of them are now starting to maybe trickle over back into Europe and the money that's getting thrown around in some leagues there. Can I tie this back into your remark earlier about the CPL? As I've read some of the stories about who's running the league, what the various entities are involved, some of the uh, external operators, Media Pro and Atletico Madrid being two of them. Sorry, but it's true. The desire to sell players abroad as soon as possible. The strongly anti-union stance by the longtime anti-union chief executive of the league, if I'm not mistaken. Tim, Tim Hortons, the company he came from, are not known as a company that is union-friendly. It's fair to say that. So um, some of us would draw the conclusion of not being surprised of the 
institutional lack of interest in a women's league on that part. Although, uh, you know, I'd like to be wrong. And uh, basically just say, you know what, I, I kind of call BS on the idea that it's not possible because if you really wanted to do it, you could do it. And I think, I think a lot of people would say the same. We just don't have the money. Yeah. It, it, it's finding... I don't like using the word philanthropic because I've been criticising some comments about the CPL who are... There's been comments that it's been philanthropic to the players. But in a women's sense, because the women's league in Canada, if it starts up, is not going to make money for a while, it is a little bit more philanthropic. You need somebody that really believes in this and somebody that wants to invest in it for the, the right reasons. And we had it here for a long time. Greg Kerfoot funded the Whitecaps women's team and help put money into the Canadian Women's National Team program. You just need a lot more people that's willing to do that. And with so many people taking a financial hit just now, it, it worries me that it could be a long time before we see that kind of investment, especially here in Canada, at least. I, 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 I take your point, and um, I think it's accurate. But as tends to happen uh, with women's sports and men's sports, there are uh, there are a lot of people willing to throw money down the drain at men's sports, but not at women's sports. Yeah, I know it's interesting, and I think things will start to change gradually over the years. But I mean, I can't even remember the last time the Whitecaps had a women's team. I know they had one initially when I came over, two thousand seven. I'm not sure when it stopped, but they've they've got their academies and everything. But I mean, just moving on, just the last thing to, to ask you about before we wrap up today. We don't know what's going to happen for the, for the rest of the year in so many regards. We don't know what's going to happen if there's going to be second waves of spikes, if borders are going to be opening, if you're going to be able to fly places, travel, whatever, fans in attendance. There do seem to be some states, though, in the US that are going to be more willing than others to, to have fans in attendance at matches. I I read some stuff saying that some states might allow 25% capacity in, into sports stadiums. Do, do you see these tournaments, both in MLS and NWSL, as maybe being something that we're going to have to get used to for the short term at least? And the only way that we're maybe going to see fans in attendance is if they do play in states that are a little bit more lax with with letting supporters into the, the stadiums. Which doesn't make it right. Like, no, oh yeah. no. I mean, I'm, I'm against it, I'll say that now. I think it's a terrifying prospect. But I mean, it, it, um, it's concerning, but it's, I do look, see... I'm, 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 I, 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 I have seen all of the very eloquent letters and essays and columns and so on written in Europe in particular about how football without fans is nothing. And... I'm going to say this to you, and I haven't said it on Twitter because I'll get blasted to the moon if I do. Football without fans is a football game still played by 22 people. They're just not people watching it by the thousands. And and there there is absolutely a cultural aspect to the support, you know, the supporting of clubs that is wonderful and a big part of why a lot of us got into it. But like for me, watching the Bundesliga, even without, I I don't mind it without the crowd noise because. I've, the crowd noise, to me, I know it's fake, and therefore I want to have an authentic viewing experience. I'm still watching a football game, you know? Yeah, I, I like hearing the the players 
talk and shout to each other. I mean, I, I go and watch like non-league amateur leagues and local leagues here in, in Vancouver and it's like there's not many fans at it and I enjoy those games. I am coming though from a background of a, a team that's average home attendance was like six or 700. So we're not used to packing the, the crowds in anyway. But I, I've been watching things like the Belarus Premier League and the Faroe Islands where there are fans and it, it, it does make a difference. It, if, if you were pressed to say, would you rather have games with in states with a, a reduced attendance or games in home markets with no fans, what would be your preferred option? I, I don't know that I have a good answer for that. Because if, if, the, if the markets are not ready to do it, then that needs to be clear. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll take the example of the baseball team in Philadelphia, the Phillies, or the Yankees, you know, in New York, or even the Red Sox in Boston, all of which their stadiums are right in the middle of the cities. And you don't know how much resources they're going to be taking away in terms of testing and such from the states that need them. But on the, and on top of that, you know, how, how much of a security perimeter around the stadiums are you going to put up to prevent the fans from, from gathering? And I think even I'll th- I think about the NFL in this regard, because the NFL thinks it's going to be able to do things normally, which is not. But um, I think about the NFL stadium in Philadelphia, which is just south of downtown. And has a lot of parking lots around it, but also has a lot of city streets around it. They're going to have to block off a whole lot of streets to stop people from driving down there and tailgating and then driving around the stadium during the game, honking their horns. Yeah, listening to it on radio or whatever, yeah. It's it's not just play the game in an empty stadium and that's it, you know? There's a lot more to it. Well, yeah, because you you have all the other folk that that's in the in the stadiums and stuff. I mean, how comfortable are you feeling about returning to to, to cover games in person? But I, I've spoken about this in some previous shows. Right now, I I genuinely am not comfortable with with going back to stadiums. I'm happy I'm just not. to work from home, and I don't know what it's going to take to really make me feel comfortable in going back again. I, I'm not comfortable, and I think that. It's funny because at the start of this, we were all complaining about them closing the locker rooms. <laughs> yeah. and, and now, look. Yeah. We didn't know as much then as we do now, okay? You know, we it's, we can, it's okay to admit that. We did not know as much then as we do now. But no, I don't feel especially comfortable going into a stadium press box right now, especially a small one like there is in Chester. Mm. I would rather devote my energy to ensuring that these leagues make players available after games, make coach, you know, have a zoom call with players and coaches after games, have a setup where they can connect to that. And then when the time comes and there's a vaccine and it's safe for everybody to come back, we'll go back. Yeah. And it's been great to see you and all these zoom calls that, that we keep appearing on together as well. So, I mean, that, that's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> keep keeping us connected. I mean, you've done some great stuff during this, just before we wrap up. Thank you. Let everyone know where they can find you online and let them know how they can help support the Philadelphia Inquirer. It is at inquirer.com slash soccer. And uh, you can subscribe to the Inquirer uh, digitally using the URL inquirer.com slash Tannenwald, my last name. 
That's fantastic. Always a pleasure to speak to you, Jonathan. And I'm sure we'll speak again quite soon. But just stay safe there and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Same to you and yours, Mike. So thanks so much to Jonathan for joining us there. You can also give Jonathan a follow on Twitter at The Goalkeeper. And definitely check out his work and support him on Inquire.com. He's been doing some great stuff during the, the football shutdown. We've been appearing, as I mentioned there, in a, a lot of different conference calls together, so it's always fun to see each other on these calls. These seem to have dried up a little bit. Partly, I think, with teams getting back into training, and also, I think, partly because, as we, we talked in last week's show, The Athletic had got that memo that had come out from MLS warning clubs and players and officials not to speak about the pandemic, not to speak about the Orlando plan and everything like that. So I think the best way to have these players not speak about those things is to shut them down completely. And it is such a a fast-moving situation in in MLS with the, the discussions between the league and the players' union. So much so that we spoke to Jonathan on Sunday afternoon, talked about all the things that you've just heard in these first two parts, and now tonight, Sunday night, May 31st, as I'm putting this podcast together, ready for its release on Monday, June 1st, things have taken a bit of a dramatic turn in the negotiations between MLS and the MLSPA. Now, the first thing that that happened tonight was a tweet that the MLSPA released at 5.40pm Pacific Time. It was a statement they released on the status of their negotiations. And I'll just read it in full for you. It says, This evening... MLS players voted to approve a package of economic concessions for the 2020 season. Modifications to the recently agreed-upon CBA, including its extension by a year, and their agreement to participate in a summer tournament in Orlando. Included were salary reductions across the entire player pool, reduced team and individual bonuses, and additional concessions to existing and future terms of the CBA. While a difficult vote in incredibly challenging times, it was taken collectively to ensure that players can return to competition as soon as they are safely able to do so. The package has been formally submitted to the league for a decision by the owners. So that all seemed good. It it looked like we were having another step forward to, to getting the players back in the pitch and this tournament in Orlando getting underway, but not so fast. MLS seemed to have reacted very quickly to that, rejecting the union's counter-proposal. And not only that, giving the players an ultimatum that if they did not agree to the last proposal that MLS had submitted to them by noon on Tuesday, and I think that's noon Eastern time, then the league would lock the players out. And not only does the chance of a tournament Orlando not look like then happening, it might not be a season at all for, for the MLS disastrous for them in their 25th season but I am totally backing the players on this one 100% behind the players I hope they stand firm I hope they do not back down to the league's threats and if there's a lockout I know that myself and most of the fans around the league would certainly support the players in this situation the players union had talked before when the CBA negotiations were underway that they did have a contingency fund if the players end up being locked out So that will still be in place, so hopefully it won't be too much hardship for them. This news came out three hours after the MLSPA tweet. ESPN's Hercules Gomez tweeted that out. 
It was then followed up by an article by Jeff Carlyle from ESPN. And he was detailing the fact that the league say that the offer that they gave the players to consider was the best offer that they could do. They were not budging on that. It looks like the players were looking for a 7 or a 7.5% pay reduction. MLS were looking for an 8.5% pay reduction. Any pay reduction, as we've spoke about in this show before, is frankly disgusting from the league when you've got billionaire owners raking in mega millions from expansion fees, obscene expansion fees, and you're pleading poverty and you want to cut these players' wages? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Neither the MLS or MLSPA would comment on these reports tonight. Now, we're going to be putting this podcast out on Monday morning. I mean, this could already, by the time it comes out, be out of date. It's going to be that fast-moving a situation. And if the players do end up being locked out by Tuesday, then we'll probably bring you a special podcast later in the week to, to cover some of that. It's a, a situation that it, it was always looming, especially with the fact that the CBA had not been ratified, which in itself, as we talked about there with, with Jonathan, is just a disgusting situation in itself. It should have been ratified way before now. But this is just another twist to this. It's the league playing hardball. And as I said, I just hope the players do not back down and they've got my support and I'm sure they'll have support from many, many people around the league. But we're going to move away from MLS and NWSL just now. We're going to head north of the border into Canada. We're going to be joined on the phone by my regular co-host Zach as we take a look at some of the comings and goings in the CPL this week. And we'll be back with that after this. How's it going, guys? I'm Ben Fisk. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Well, it says you're too hot. You never guess what? I could join the version of the clubs. Every turn is out. Put my fingers in the fire. Because I could join the version of the clubs. I could join the version of the clubs. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. That was the first of our three-of-a-kind songs for tonight. By favourites of the show and former artist of the month, Half Man, Half Biscuit, it's a song we've featured before, Joy Division Oven Gloves, from Half Man, Half Biscuit's 2005 album, their 10th album altogether, Achtung Bono. And for any new listeners to the show, what we've been doing the last couple of weeks, the songs that we play at the start of parts 3, 4 and 5 are all linked in a way. They're three of a kind. Can you work out what the link is? If you can work it out by the end of the second song, can you work out what the third song might be that kicks off part 5? So that was the first of tonight's three songs, Joy Division Oven Gloves by Half Man Half Biscuit. What will the next song be? Find out at the start of part 4. But let's get back to the football chat now. So we've looked at the the happenings in MLS and the NWSL. Let's stay north of the border now and turn our attentions to the Canadian Premier League. And I'm delighted to welcome back on the phone once again, Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. Good to be with you, Michael. How are you doing? Good. How's your week been? Any exciting football stuff? 
this is going to be like deja vu. I think you're going to say something about what time is it with Bayern, and I'll be like, <laughs> it was eleven ten this week, well, and well, um, I mean, it was what what we call in Germany they call it an uh, English fucker, which means uh, do you know what that means? Uh, English fuckers? No, fuck. Oh, <laughs> English it, week. It's okay. We've marked this this episode explicit with a song I played earlier, so it's fine. No, it's an English week, which means that they have midweek games. That's what they call oh. it English week. Um, so they, uh, yeah, they play. Everyone played midweek, which is cool and crazy. And uh, so it's been like nonstop games. So like, whatever I'm doing, something that doesn't like I can multitask on. I've been, I've been having, uh, I've been having football, uh, football matches, football matches on like nonstop. It, um, it's weird. Eight. Like I, I love midweek football. It, when I was in the UK, I used to love games under the lights. When the Whitecaps have a midweek game, like, I can't be arsed. It's like, oh, God, I've got to go downtown for midweek. It's, it's so weird. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, here, yeah, it's not, it's not always easy with our geography and our transit system. But, um, no, I mean, there, I'm going, no, it's going to games, so that part doesn't really matter. But it was just, it was just nice. Like, it was yeah. non-stop games this week. And I, I wasn't even able to watch them all in order. So, like, for example, I was messaging a uh, friend of the show, LWO for Life, or uh, or. Yeah, I think it's LWO for like John Humphreys messaging him about uh, his uh, Derby disappointment with uh, Fortuna on last weekend, last Sunday, I think it was. And then, of course, Byron crushed them 5-0 yesterday. But then after that, I watched their their uh, big win midweek against Schalke. Oh, so kind of yeah. Been back and forth and going all around, kind of crazy. One thing I do want to point out from the Bundesliga is this, though. Uh, yesterday, you, uh, you may know this, you may not know this, yesterday was the... 15th anniversary of the Allianz Arena. And one thing, which I don't know, I haven't seen this reported anywhere, but from my recollection, uh, the Allianz Arena, maybe not on the, op- uh, the opening match that was competitive there, I remember was scored by a Canadian-born player. And on the anniversary of the opening of the stadium, the last goal oh. was scored by a Canadian international. So, of course, Alfonso Davies yesterday with yep. his right foot again. I, I watched uh, the highlights of that goal on, on Twitter before it got taken down. Yeah, meet me, here goes the roadrunner. <laughs> oh, um, that that was funny, that was, that was a good interview. Uh, Thomas Muller, yeah. he's great, he's hilarious, dude. But Owen Lee Hargraves scored the, the first uh, competitive goal uh, in at the Allianz Arena in a, like a, an actual match. I thought you said uh, he wasn't Canadian when I mentioned him before. Canadian born and Canadian international. <laughs> <laughs> because that's my that's my recollection. It's him scoring the first goal, bending it in from the and kind of the inside left channel, bending it in. But yeah, so it was a great day for Byron, though. Uh, well, a great day. It was a, it was a uh, adequate performance against Fortuna Düsseldorf, and uh, yeah, lots. Of, I mean, I really hope that uh, people who would never watch the Bundesliga are watching the Bundesliga because it is a very quality league. I don't know you have no desire for it, and that's fine. But I hope. I, I haven't yet, but like I said, I don't have sports net, so I'd have to go out of my way to yeah. to watch it. And I mean, I, my all my time's taken up between Sluts and Vikinger. It's a double header on on Monday. Vikinger at seven a.m., then Sluts at nine a.m. I'll be up early. Oh my goodness, Michael! Anyway, this part's meant to be talking about Canadian football. football. We're we're travelling around the world with Joe in part five, so. Let's get talking about the Canadian Premier League because 
We know that the NWSL is returning on June 27th. It looks like MLS is going to return on July 3rd. The CPL, though, we don't have a date for. But there have been sort of murmurs that they're looking at an August return, maybe even a late August return. And things have got a little bit interesting to to do with this because we've talked before about the the league's plans to to follow in like MLS and NWSL footsteps and have a a hub city hosting all eight teams. And there now seems to be three strong contenders for this. Manitoba, Winnipeg is still getting kind of put out there. But it looks like the the front runner, if you, you listen to people within the... The, the club and also CTV Vancouver's Jordan Cunningham are saying that Langford, Victoria, Pacific FC, they're going to be the kind of the favourites to, to maybe host this hub. But then out of the blue, PEI came into this. And what's been interesting about this is that it's been very hush-hush and there's still been no official word from the league. But you've got CTV Vancouver kind of reporting about Langford. And then you had... PEI's Department of Economic Growth, Tourism and Culture putting out a statement confirming that the, the province has a, a desire to, to be the hub, saying that they're, they're working through the stages of figuring out the details of how they can host the CPL on the island. They'd love to host the 2020 season. It would be a huge impact in the island's economy, but they have to look at the health and safety of islanders first, and it would be health guidelines and restrictions that would need to be reviewed etc etc I mean what what's your thoughts on this if you had to pick between Langford and PI and like use your use your head here not your heart what do you think makes the most sense for the league uh, well yeah as I talk to people uh, I don't think that um, I don't think Winnipeg is really an option because they also might be involved what I heard potentially involved with CFL or kind of trying to have uh. a season in our games um, I mean, Winnipeg, I guess, that what it's got going for it is it's in the middle of the country, I think, if my geography's slightly yeah, little, improved. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Close, yeah. It's near Thunder Bay, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I, I don't think that, yeah, I, I don't, I think that would be third out of, the, the, out of these three. I think uh, PI would be great because it's a neutral venue, so no one yeah. has an, uh, an advantage. And, um, it's also potentially, I mean, you, when you're thinking about all different sides, all different aspects of this uh, of this particular issue, it, it's a, a way to maybe open doors for future uh, Canadian Premier League clubs to be birthed in other parts of the country. Obviously not immediately, but down the road. I think they might want to go where somewhere where they already know what's what and 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 a place where they, as a, as a league, have heavily invested. And so that's why I think Langford does make a lot of sense. Uh, the island does make a lot of sense. Obviously, there's things that count against that, like, yeah, it's on, the, it's on one side of the country, uh, so it's not maybe great for everyone. The other thing is, uh, I don't know how they work it. They'll have to work out stuff with the community because there's community elements involved, obviously. Yeah. But um, the thing that I hear from, from most people that they're not excited about if it goes to Langford is the camera, <laughs> the camera angle. Well, yeah, I was going to uh, mention that because it's like we know it's horrible. And from the games that, that we saw last year, it's not a great viewing point. But I, I think if you then flip that around, they don't have to necessarily film from there because you're going to have an empty stadium. So yeah. you could just set a camera up in all the other three stands as well, and just see and what's going to give you the best. And you see the beautiful 
whatever lake or whatever is across the street. Yeah, it's yeah. a picturesque, picturesque set, and and I mean it, it does make sense to go with what you know. I mean both options are basically quite remote and difficult for some teams to to get to. So I mean there's no there's no one that's got the big advantage over that. If you're looking at infrastructure, Langford you would think might just edge that. Yeah. The only thing about that is from from being there myself and staying there, there's not a lot no. of hotels that close to the stadium. No, we always stay in Victoria when we've gone over overnight. I I stayed in a, I think it was called Solo Suites. It's in Langford and it's a nice kind of suite hotel, um, and they've got six floors and a lot of rooms. I don't know if that would be enough to put up everyone that would be going, but that's like a ten minute drive from the stadium and. To me, that would be the only one that would really make sense. I'd know there's a couple of other ones kind of close-ish, but yeah, it is a bit out of the way. They do have the training facility as well in Langford. Yeah. Whereas PEI, you might be using a, a couple of different university training facilities and stuff like that. The, the thing that I do like, though, about PEI is what you said. It's opening it up to a new community. I know fans aren't going to be in attendance, but it kind of shows that it is a a nationwide league. And like the PI tourism guy was talking about how it's going to be a big impact for the economy. I, I read a report where normally PI in their tourist season, they get 70,000 nights of hotel bookings that they're basically losing this year. So this tournament would give them 16,000. So at least it would give the community something. But I, I was also meant to go to PEI in October, September, October last year, but we had to cancel our trip. So I've done a lot of research on the island, and it's it's beautiful. I, I hope to get there someday. But the, a lot of the talk seems to be it's going to be a 14-day quarantine period for players when they get there. Seven when they first arrive, just locked away, and then seven, kind of an additional seven where they can maybe do training and stuff, but they have to still stay in the hotel. That's a tough ask. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, at least they'd be going to, like, a very, very, like, beautiful place. I got to travel there with our family when I was, I don't know, 11, 12, 13. We went, took a family trip, and it's such a, like, a magical place. I think I went before, I think it was before the bridge. That's how long ago. Oh. Um, but, yeah, so if they're stuck there, at least there's, like, it's a beautiful place to walk around and, like, you know, do that kind of stuff. So, unless they're literally stuck inside hotel or whatever yeah. then that's, that's not going to be good which is the worry that it's the same with the MLS tournament that you're going to just be like shuttled from a hotel to to the venue and then back to the hotel and it's going to it's going to kind of feel that you're in an open prison of, of sorts but I, I, it's exciting that at least there's some firm plans that seem to be getting put in place it does look like whatever's going to happen we're going to see some CPL action this year. And I think that is important just for, for the league so that it doesn't go a full year without their having a, a, a ball kicked. Well, MLS players should be used to that, though, because don't you describe their contracts as being like prison? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, just, just while we're talking about that, we obviously spoke to Jonathan in the first part about that, and the players seem to have signed off on it, but they've still got some safety concerns and the salary concerns and... Th- things appear to have got heated on the conference call between the, the players union and Don Garber and if we're talking about players union and the CPL they still haven't recognised the Canadian players union and yeah. they've tweeted out that despite us talking about all these plans and 
PEI coming out saying they want to be a host and Langford coming out to say that they're going to be a host. No one's actually consulted the players to see if they're happy to go along with this, but it's just concerning to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't see... I'm getting the sense that the player union stuff, that the league's not going to resolve it until after the pandemic is the sense I get. That's not... That's just my personal opinion. Because it feels like they, they're like, hey, I think, I think they only have so much time and energy to focus, and I think all their energy is focused on on this. Now, I know the, the players voice and the players involvement is huge in that but I really think that that thing is not going to get ratified until after this is all done yeah. until closer to the when there's like to the end of this season at least kind of thing I, I just really hope though that it doesn't come to a thing where the players are like well you haven't consulted us so we're not agreeing to this yeah, it could force the issue. I, just, I mean, very realistically, yeah, because yeah, it would it would force the issue. Like you have to recognise us, or we're not going to be doing this. I just think that it's a. I think as much as the players see that as the, their leverage, I also think it's it's not it's like I'm not uh, as harsh as some of the other people and some of the other things that have been shared, but I don't think it's in their long like like their long term best interest to do that. I think they need to recognise that yes, the league needs a uh, a players union. But it's going. It's going to take time to, especially in the midst of all that's going on. And I mean, there there is so much that is going on at the moment, and it looks like the the CPL teams are all going to be returning to training in some form mm-hmm. um, over the next week or so. But with Halifax set to kick things off on Monday, June first, and, and be the first team back. Obviously, different provinces are hit very differently just now with the the coronavirus. But I mean. It's good for these players to, to finally get back in and get into maybe some kind of training. It still won't be contact training. It'll be light training initially. But at least for the players, they, they can be like, well, finally, it's like a, it looks like a light at the end of the tunnel for them. Yeah, I'm sure that they'll all be really, really thrilled to get, uh, get back into the, to the groove or into the groove again for the second year. And some of them... Uh, one of the teams obviously will be wearing some of their nice new uniforms. Yeah, did did you watch Ottawa? I I didn't watch it. I I actually watched it. It was a it was quite a, a good stream. So Atletico Ottawa, if anyone doesn't know, released the their first home kit, away kit still to follow. And I I don't know about you, I was stunned. It was it was red and white stripes. I did not see that coming. Shocking. So I haven't even watched. I haven't even watched the the delay version of it, but. Um, they, well, I do. They, they sent this, anyone anyone who claims to be a supporter group of, of, the, of yeah. The, they sent them all. They sent them all the, the jersey in a sealed box, like in the mail, with a letter saying, like a very stern letter saying, "Please do not open this until we do the live, we do the live, the you know the whole live launch thing or whatever." I know, and amazingly, none of them looked like they'd already opened it. Well, I know you, you saw there was I think one girl trying struggling to get her box open. Yeah. Right? Her name is Jessica, so I know I know Jessica just a little bit. Yeah, it was unfortunate that she couldn't get the thing open, but she everyone everyone I know who knows her was was like teasing her for you know the week or week and a half leading <laughs> up to and saying, "So have you taken a peek? Have you taken a peek? Have you you know tell us tell us it's something different than what we expect?" But she she wouldn't do it, which was I know because like, so can you imagine a leak sending out a kit before it's launched? I, it's, it was risky, and it, amazingly, it didn't get leaked. Well, because. Well, this, that's also amazing because, like, a couple of the, those people, a couple of those, I think they sent the three or four groups. Two of them, obviously, are long-standing. 
uh, one of them is like just, well, the ultra is like just one dude, and <laughs> and then the other group is new and has like whatever thirty people on their Facebook following or something. So it was like, yeah, it was. I don't know. I was that was a, a huge, a huge risk, and I'm I'm glad nothing happened. So maybe it, it allows other teams to be a little bit more trusting in the future. But yeah. well, I tell you what, whenever there's a whenever there's going to be a, a lower mainland team, I'm setting up a supporters group so I can get a free jersey. always got my plans for stuff like free things it's, it's good but it, it was good stony monday riot he had his box like ripped open um well well she was still trying to cut into it and he was holding the strip up and she's still trying to get hers open so it was it's funny to watch it, it's a nice strip i i'm not a big fan of stripes and i say that as a supporter of a team in east fife that their traditional strip is stripes i i just don't feel it's a, a good look for wearing a, a kit around wearing stripes I, I like more of a a plane or just one hoop or something like that but i do like the back of the strip where it's got the maple leaf and it, it looks really really smart and i think they've done a great job it, it keeps the atletico madrid colors and style but it adds the, the the canadian feel to it so i think they did a really good job overall yeah and no no surprise that they have the uh the one soccer sponsorship with the connection to spain obviously oh yeah it's just it's disappointing. You've got two teams sponsored by one soccer, and then two by Volkswagen. And I know they're they're putting good money into the league, but still, you kind of want to have unique sponsors. Well, it's nice they add, they've at least they added one. Uh, they added one this year, right? Swoop took Edmonton, so Edmonton's one soccer went to Ottawa. Yeah, so there's one new one. So I'm sure all the players and coaching staff will be really keen to to get back on the pitch and and get back to playing. I know one of them, Jeff Paulus, definitely will. But does he fancy a chocolate digestive? Let's find out. So, if you're sitting at home and you decide to have a, a hot beverage, what would be your hot beverage of choice? Would it be tea, coffee or something else? So, first thing in the morning, it has to be a coffee. And then any time after that, it must be a tea. And are you a biscuit fan? Do you have a bit of a sweet tooth? Um, I am a biscuit fan, which is why I don't keep them in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. All I've got in the house at the moment is tons of biscuits I brought back from the UK with me. There you go. <laughs> Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? FC Edmonton head coach Jeff Powell is there. But that is it for this part. We'll be back with Zach talking about some news that's come out that could affect the Canadian national team. And we'll be back with that and this week's wavelength after this. Hi, I'm Daniel Henry and you are listening to AFTN. Tea, tea. 
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And that was the second of our songs from tonight's Three of a Kind, from 2007, English band The Wombats, with Let's Dance to Joy Division, from their debut album A Guide to Love, Loss and Desperation. Have you worked out what the link might be? Maybe it's an easy link this week, or maybe I've got a red herring thrown in. What we had at the start of part three, Joy Division Oven Gloves by Half Man Half Biscuit. Kicking off part four, let's dance to Joy Division by the Wombats. What could the link possibly be? If you already know, what do you think the third song's going to be that kicks off part five? Find out soon. But before we get back to the football chat, let's keep the musical theme going with this week's Wavelength. And we're going quite recent for Wavelength this week. The song we've picked is from 2017. It's from a band hailing out of Baltimore, Maryland, called Animal Collective. This is a song from their eighth EP called The Painters that was released on Domino Records in 2017. I thought since we had Jonathan Tannenwald on in the first two parts and his Twitter handle is The Goalkeeper, let's play a song to honour Jonathan. So this is Animal Collective and The Goalkeeper.
Healing out of Baltimore, Maryland, that was Animal Collective, and a song from their 2017 EP, The Painters, and that was The Goalkeeper. Okay, so let's get back to chatting about football now, and we're going to turn our attention to some news that has kind of filtered out that could affect the Canadian national team, and in particular, World Cup qualifying for Qatar 2022, if that indeed goes ahead. I know it's a long way away and you'd think, why would it not go ahead? But there could be a lot of problems with certain countries, certain regions possibly getting their their qualifiers played. And I, I know CONCACAF, it's definitely making them relook at what they're going to do. The original plan, as we know and we've talked about before, there was going to be the HEX. The top six teams were going to be in the HEX. Every other CONCACAF team was going to be playing in a tournament to decide a winner. They would then play the fourth place team in the hex. But it looks, if you can believe reports coming out of Panama from rpctv.com, they had an article reporting that the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying now is going to feature three groups of four teams, so 12 teams in total, battling it out. All three group winners would advance to the 2022 World Cup. The best placed second place team would then play the winner of a tournament that would be all the other CONCACAF teams ranked 13 and below, and whoever would win that would then be involved in the in the playoff against another region. So so before we get into who those teams are and what that might look like, what, what's your thoughts on, on, on that, Zach? A, a change going from a hex to a, a 12-team qualifying tournament? I mean, at this point it's kind of like, yeah, you, you, we knew that they weren't going to be able to likely do what they had set out to do, or they just weren't. And so it's not surprising that there's an alternative format. Uh, I, I still don't know how I feel about this fully. Um, in one sense, it feels like, okay, yeah, we have we have maybe a chance or a better chance than it was potentially looking like. Or they like to be involved in a, uh, you know, a group stage with a chance to qualify, like we would have if we'd been in the hex. But when you look at the pots, right, like, you're going to be with Mexico, U.S., Costa Rica, or Jamaica. Yeah. So you're, you're I mean, going to have to win one of those. Yeah. If, uh, ideally, obviously, as you look at those, you'd say you take Jamaica in a heartbeat out of those. Oh, four. absolutely. Um, but but then uh, this is where there's all these questions because, like, the, the top four, they're obviously going to be the seeds. So as you say, it's Mexico, U.S., Costa Rica, Jamaica. That's fair enough. So then if you're having pots two and pot three, is it going to be a random draw? Or are they going to seed it throughout? Because if they seed it throughout, that would mean that Mexico would get the 8th ranked team and the 12th ranked team. Now, in pot 2, you've got Honduras, El Salvador, Canada and Curaçao. Canada being 7th. So if it was seeded, then Canada would be in the US's group. If it's a random draw, then yeah, you could get anyone at all. And then you want Jamaica, and then after that, I'd say Costa Rica because they can be be hit or miss. But for me, that that could be the big difference in how beneficial this is to Canada, or, or how terrible it is for Canada. Because if you get Mexico, or the US, you're struggling big time. Yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, obviously those are harder pathways. But I mean, remember, the US was not good last time. 
I know you, it's hard to see them doing that two, two times in a row, but well, yeah, uh, and but remember, like, yeah, we beat them in Toronto, but then they beat us in in the return. So then you're you're going down again to to goals against the the other team if that was played out again. And pot three right now is Panama, Haiti, Trinidad and Tobago, and Antigua and Barbuda. So six countries altogether in in that pot. I mean. When you when you said that and you're like oh they keep the see the teams all the way through or whatever like what'll happen and like I was gonna say oh no there's no way they do why would they call it a draw then it's not a draw it's just an assignment but this is Concacaf and yeah. literally anything can happen and if they did keep the seeding then Canada's group would be the U.S. and Trinidad and Tobago which is like the group of death when you look at yeah. those teams that would be bad yeah yeah Canada will obviously we want Jamaica and then Antigua and Barbuda well let's just take one of them let's take Antigua. I, I don't know, Barbuda sounds fun. Sounds like Barracuda. Sorry, that was, just, that was just for you. Antigua's not a country. I, exactly. I, I distinctly remember that being chanted at Swan Guard. At Peter Byers, and then he scored. Yeah. And then he came over. Yeah. I, I, I love when... when yeah. And we've talked about this before, but when players give it back in a good-natured oh, way, it's like, okay. it's you've got to just applaud them. It's like good fun. Oh, no, although I think Matt... Like Matt like, I, I was worried that Matt was actually going to... Like either cross, like jump over the fence. He, Mass sw- actually, Mass actually swung at him with his two stick. But it was, I think, the first two stick he'd ever made, and oh. it had wood in it, and it was really like thin wood. And Mass's swing broke the little two stick poles in it. That's how, like, that's how uh, thin or you know thin they were. They broke. They broke because he, he was not. He was not happy that buyers made a B for us. And, yeah. Ah, uh, happy. <laughs> memory, though, happy yeah. days. But, I mean, if you're looking at this, if, if this is how it plays out, I, I think it's a great opportunity for Canada because it it stops all this, are they going to make the hex or they're not going to make the hex? They then just have to do it on the pitch. And although I'm saying if they're drawn against Mexico or the US, it's going to be tough, we're putting together a very impressive team right now. Yep. And you have to, if they can put it together when they really need to put it together, you, you've got to fancy their chances. But then the flip side of that is you look at the Gold Cup and you look at the capitulation to Haiti and you think, well, they've always got the, the scope for doing that at the same time. But I mean, I, I would I would love to see this. I think it would be a, a great opportunity for, for Canada and I, I think it would really get the excitement going for the national team here. Oh yeah, it would be, it could be incredible. It was funny listening to watching the Bayern games. Uh, I think it was Mark Schwarzer was doing the color commentating on one of their their three or four games or whatever it's been so far. And he said, the only bad thing about Alfonso Davies playing for Canada is that it means he'll never he'll never he'll never get to play in a major tournament. <laughs> and and then the second half he corrected himself said, oh well, they are actually hosting the 2026 World Cup. But the thing is. I agree. This is such an exciting team that I, I, I don't think you can write them off, no matter who they get drawn with and and what happens. Like I think they, I think we have like a, a battling chance, like a fighting chance, no matter which of you know, which two teams they they would get. Yeah, and I, we've got to say this: this is just rumors coming out of of Panama, but it's apparently sources close to the Panamanian Football Federation that that have released this. There might so be a leak in their canal. <laughs> So I mean, it, there there might not be much in it, but if if they were leaking it to see what folks' opinion was, I, I think it's gone down quite well, and it would be exciting. The only part of it I don't like is the best placed second team 
then plays the winner of this other tournament. And I had a look at the countries that's ranked 13 and below. So whoever wins that, no matter what country wins it, it's like, it's not a great footballing country that's going to win that. So whoever's the best place second team's got a great chance then of being in a one-off playoff game against some other confederation for a place at the World Cup. So that might even be the easier route for some teams. Yeah, but obviously you can't, you can't focus on that, right? Oh, no, 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 not, not at all. But I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But again, then, you don't want to be drawn in a group with US or Mexico if you want to try and be the best place second team either. But there's also been some rumours this week that there's a, a couple of the federations in CONCACAF that might not even take part in, in any World Cup qualifying because they're, they're just in a, in a mess at the moment. It wasn't said who those federations were, but you have to think Haiti could be one of them. Their football federation president, Yves Jean Bart, has been accused of forcing young female players to have sex with him over the last five years. And he's been suspended for 90 days this last week by FIFA while the investigations continue. He denies all of the charges, we have to say that. But he's been in charge of football in Haiti for over two decades. And, I mean, if if that seemed to be true and there's corruption, then that throws that whole programme that's just started to turn around and start to get really exciting into a lot of like peril and you kind of wonder what's going to happen there. Yeah, I hadn't heard that yet. That's... Yeah, it's really bad. It, it was like if the if the female players wanted to still be part of the national team setup, that's what the accusations are that he said, "Well, you have to do this." But the TNT Football Federation, I mean, they saw their whole board removed in in March by FIFA because of financial worries that they were going to go bankrupt. So I don't know how they're coming out of that as well. But you're during a pandemic. You have to look at some of these other small countries. Might just think. What's the point of even taking part in this? It's like, let's just not focus on, on this World Cup just now and put all our efforts into trying to be at the one that we're hosting in 2026. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll get, you get a mix, right? You'll get people who'll be like, yeah, this is, we're going to focus on all the stuff that's going on with the pandemic. And there might be, like, there's some people will probably be like, well, let's have some diversion from all this chaos. Yeah. Right? Like, it'll but, be a nice, uh, yeah, nice to focus on something that's, semi-normal but then also yeah. as I said it's not a strong group of teams that's 13 and below so I mean some team could make a big run at this and find themselves in a playoff to, to go to another playoff to, for a place at the World Cup so I mean you never know could be some fairy tale story out there true that mm. but that is it for this part we'll let Zach go now just before we do just let everyone know where they can find you online yeah for me on Twitter it's at ZacharyM that's great. Thanks for joining us as always, Zach. We'll have you back next week talking some more football stuff. We've got one part of the show to go and we'll be back with that where we travel around the world with Joe Corona after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the final part of tonight's AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And that was our final song in tonight's Three of a Kind. Did you work out what the link was? Yeah, it was a, a pretty easy one this week. I'm sure you all got it after the, the second song. The link was the band Joy Division. At the start of part three, we heard Half Man, Half Biscuit with Joy Division Oven Gloves. Part 4 kicked off with the Wombats and Let's Dance to Joy Division. And the final song that you've just heard just now were Joy Division themselves with the wonderful Love Will Tear Us Apart. It's 30 years since the, the death in May 1980 from lead singer Ian Curtis, who sadly took his own life. That song, Love Will Tear Us Apart, became a big hit for the band a month after that in June 1980. So that song's also coming up for a a 30-year anniversary and it is a fantastic song. One of my favourite Joy Division songs still sounds so fresh and new today. It's also a song that has football connotations. It's been used by various teams over the years. We got to use it at East Fife to its best possible way when we had a player called Gordon Love, who's a winger, give us a chance to sing Love... Love will tear you apart again. When he went on a nice little mazy run. Didn't spend a lot of time with us at East Fife either, but it was great having him, great singing that song, and ah, happy days indeed. So well done if you got the link. Well done if you worked out that the third song was actually going to be a song by Joy Division as well. We'll be back next week with another three of a kind. But we've stayed at home a lot with Joe Corona in the first few parts of tonight's show for this final part, which is just going to be quite a short part. We're going to go on our travels and head around the world with Joe. And not too much stuff that we're going to talk about in this bit, but I I do want to talk about some of the latest things that's coming out of the, the English Premier League. And not only do we have a start date for the league, we've got some fixtures, but... There's still a lot of wranglings going on. There's still a lot of unhappy people that the the league is starting. There's been several articles come out this weekend kind of questioning what's behind it. There's an interesting one in The Guardian saying that the Premier League restart will not be football as we know it. CNN had an article from a former Premier League club doctor saying that football's restart is a battle of money versus health. And, I mean, it is. It's like that everywhere. It's, It's... being driven by money, it's being driven by forces, TV contracts, clubs possibly going to the wall in some circumstances. In the Premier League, I, I think it's just they want to just get their product out there and start making some more money because these are not poor football clubs. But Thursday last week saw the confirmation that the Premier League was going to resume. June 17th is the day that it's going to be back on our screens. Games will be behind closed doors. And most, but not all of them, will be held at the club's own home grounds. And I'll I'll come to that in in a little bit because there's been some developments on that today. The week had started with Premier League clubs unanimously agreeing to to resume contact training. There's been a number of tests taking place and we're just looking at around a dozen positive tests so far, which is still obviously concerning, but not that concerning when you look at the amount of tests that have taken place. And the whole subject of whether 
teams got to play at their home stadiums or not was a, a contentious issue. Clubs like Watford and West Ham were arguing, no, we want to play these games at our home stadium. But interestingly, stats that have come out of Germany, and this is before this weekend's games, there had been 27 games played in Germany since the restart, but only five of them resulted in home wins. So the home advantage, without the fans being there, is nowhere near what it would be with the fans in attendance. So that's going to help a lot of these lower teams that are maybe got difficult schedules against some of the top teams in the division as they battle relegation. So, I mean, that's going to be interesting. But the action is set to return on 17th of June. That's a Wednesday night. And there's going to be two games played. And they're games in hand, make-up games, because of the, the Carling Cup final. So we're going to be kicking off with Man City against Arsenal and Aston Villa versus Sheffield United. And then after that, you're kind of getting into the, the full slate of games. Games are going to be getting played on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, possibly Monday as well. And it's going to be wall-to-wall football. You're going to have one game on a Friday, four games on a Saturday, four games on a Sunday, all one after the other, staggered kickoff times. That's why I think it's probably going to be one game on a Monday as well, because obviously it's a 20-team league. Here in Canada, all the games are going to be on the zone anyway, but over in the UK, there had been a big push that some of the games should be free to air, which again, you're leading to the problems with all the contracts and the likes of Sky and BT Sport and Amazon that have paid a lot of money to, to get the rights to these games. Sky are going to be showing some free to air games, but you still would have to have access to Sky, either via their dishes or via cable or free view over there to watch it. The BBC are going to have four free-to-air games, but one of those games is going to be the, the game that could see Liverpool clinch their first title in years, a Merseyside derby as well against Everton. So, I mean, that's going to be a fantastic game for the, the public to see on free-to-air terrestrial TV. Sky have 64 games left to, to televise this year uh, as part of their deal. 25 of them are going to be made available free-to-air. Interestingly, BT Sport have decided not to make any of their games free to air. And for anyone that doesn't really know how the, the setup works in the UK, BT Sport is a kind of cable provider. Sky was a satellite thing initially, but you can also get it through cable providers now as well. But both are subscription services, so if money's tight and you can only afford one, most people go with Sky because they've got the, the bulk of the games. So... But for football fans, it's just going to be like wall-to-wall football coverage because they've got so many games to cram in in a short period of time. You're also going to have the championship that's going to be coming back as well. There's altogether, there's 16 different kickoff times. There's going to be 8 o'clock, and this is UK time, so 8 o'clock on a Friday, so you're looking at noon here. Saturday, the games are going to be 12.30, 3, 5.30 and 8 p.m., so from a Pacific time point, you're looking at 4.30am till noon with the kickoff times. Sunday, not better either. Noon, 2pm, 4.30pm and 7pm. And then Monday is going to be 8pm kickoffs. There's also going to be some games played midweek on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. And kickoff times for those are going to be 6pm and 8pm UK time. So you're looking at 10am and noon Pacific time. So initially when all this was announced, it looked like all teams would get to play their home games in their home stadiums. 
But word has come out this weekend that the police across the UK are pushing for a number of games to be played at neutral venues. And the bulk of those games are games in which Liverpool could possibly win the title. They just don't want fans congregating outside Anfield to, to celebrate their, their first title triumph in 30 years. So the Liverpool derby against Everton is one of those games that they're, they're going to be looking at having at a neutral venue. And as I was mentioning earlier, the, the home advantage is kind of gone anyway, so I don't think it really matters too much. And if there's anything that you can do to keep fans from congregating and keep them away, then I think that's the best thing to do. You know for a fact that they would congregate outside Anfield for this, because it is such a momentous occasion for them. There still has been no word yet as to what's happening with the Championship, or even League One, that we talked about the clubs there still can't agree whether to restart or not. So I'm sure that will be some more debate coming in the coming week for that. But let us know, are you excited for the Premier League coming back? Do you think it will make a difference if there will be no fan noise? Is it going to be more exciting than watching Bundesliga with no crowd? Should the, the Premier teams look at piping crowd noise? Should they look at doing what some of the Bundesliga teams are doing and have cardboard cutouts or whatever? I'm just glad it's going to be back so that A, we can watch some football, but also B, that we can stop just hearing about all the wranglings back and forward as to when's it going to restart, what are we going to do, just get it done and dusted and then just get on with everything. The FA Cup games are also going to be getting played, with the quarterfinals set to get played on June 27th and 28th, the semi-finals on July 18th and 19th, and the final on August 1st. Just now, the, the quarter-final draws got like Leicester v Chelsea, Newcastle v Man City, Sheffield United Arsenal, and Norwich v Man United, so potentially four cracking games, and then semi-finals and final as well. It will be weird watching an FA Cup final with no fans in attendance, but you just have to hope that the FA and English football just do not fuck this up. And, and make a setback for next season actually starting. And I just hope the testing protocols are in place. I hope players are safe. And Germany's set the way. I mean, they've done really well so far. Hopefully it's going to be the same in England. Just a, a final little word about Scotland. They are looking at starting their new season, the 2021 season, on August 1st. Clubs are hopefully going to be allowed to get back into training at some time in June. There will be no fans in attendance and the, the feeling is there'll be no fans in attendance in Scotland until at least into 2021. Scotland has different regulations from England if anyone isn't sure about that. But while we're talking about Scottish football, I just want to plug a new podcast in the AFTN family. It's called Glory Days of Gold. It's our very first East Fife podcast. As some of you will know, AFTN started as a, an East Fife printed fanzine back in the day in 1989 before transitioning to a website in 2002. The website has been kind of down and getting revamped for about a year and a half now. I've just been really slow doing it, but I, I do hope to get that back up and running at some point soon. But one thing we have never done is a, an East Fife podcast. So I've teamed up with a good friend of mine back in Fife, Lee Gillis, We've produced an East Fife podcast. It's also going to cover Scottish football as well. And yes, it does include Wavelength. And yes, it does include anyone fancy a chocolate digestive. Got to keep those things going no matter what we do. 
Episode 1 came out today, Sunday, May 31st. You can check it out on Podbean. Just check out glorydaysofgold.podbean.com or check the AFTN Twitter feed and you'll find a link to that as well. Now, you might have no interest at all in East Fife for Scottish football. Totally understand that. But if you do, check it out. We'd love you to check that out. Sound quality is not ideal in the, the first episode because we had a problem because my mic broke and we were doing it via Zoom as well. So obviously, internet quality is not the best, but it's gone down well so far back in Fife. We hope to have a, a lot of interviews on it with some current and former East Fife players, including some that have played over here in MLS. And we'll also have chats with some of the, the Scottish MLS players as well that we'll be bringing you. And we're also going to be doing some other sports. We've got some darts interviews that we're hopefully going to be doing as well. So check that out if you've any interest at all. That is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. We will be back next week with another packed show. I'm Michael McCall. You can give me a follow on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Follow us on Instagram at AFTN Soccer and on YouTube, AFTN Canada. Like, subscribe, share, get those algorithms up. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. We're going to be back with some more interviews next week. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care, stay home, stay safe, stay healthy and wash those hands. Bye everyone. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine.